May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. On Ash Wednesday, uh, at the service down at Holy Trinity, um, at 7 o'clock, I have been asked to speak about uh, a Franciscan approach to Lent, being Franciscan and how one approaches Lent. Which is a little nerve-wracking because despite my lofty title, I'm not entirely sure I can give uh, the Franciscan approach to Lent. I might be able to give a Franciscan's approach to Lent, but that's about as good as it gets, I think. Being a Franciscan is to uh, be called to walk in the footsteps of Francis and Claire as they walked in the footsteps of Christ. So to be a Franciscan starts with Francis. Francis was, well, he was the son of a wealthy cloth merchant. Uh, Francis, or Francisco, uh, was baptised Giovanni. And uh, his father was a, a new thing called a middle class, a wealthy middle class person. Uh, we take for granted the middle class today, but in the late 1100s, early 1200s, it was a whole new invention, wealthy people who weren't landed nobility. Uh, and that allowed Francis to be a bit of a playboy, really, a bit of a lad. And uh, he was a bit of a lad by all accounts, and he loved all things French, hence his nickname, Francesco, or Frenchie, so we know him by his nickname. And one of the things he loved about French style was the troubadours who toured Europe and they sang great songs about knights who would rescue dames in distress. And so Francis's great desire in life was to be a great knight rescuing damsels in distress. Uh, and his father kind of humoured him and uh, kitted him out with the gear and he joined the army of Assisi and went off to fight Perugia. Uh, for glorious victory, and that ended up in disaster. Uh, the forces of Assisi were routed, and uh, many of them were imprisoned. Uh, and while he was Im imprisoned, he got quite sick, uh, and eventually his father ransomed him, and he came home and took a long time to convalesce, and that meant a long time of quiet, of being on his own, uh, of uh, sitting out in the countryside, uh, Recovering, And that changed him. The old Francisco disappeared. Uh, and he began a journey that led him to eventually found the Order of Friars Minor. But there were a number of events along the way that kind of shaped him. There was the journey to uh, riding along the Via Francesca, which is the road that, that's at the bottom of the hill that Assisi sits on, uh, which was the road to France, the Via Francesca, and um, the, uh, there was a leper hospital there, and he was riding past the leper hospital, and there was a leper on the road, and normally he would have ridden past, as all other people do, and uh, would have looked away in disgust, but on this occasion he felt impelled to dismount from his horse and to embrace the leper and to kiss him, and there are a number of versions of how the story goes, but the one I like is as Francis rode off down the road, 
Uh, he looked back and the leper was gone and in, in his place stood the crucified and risen Christ. He changed his life. He talked about this being the, the most important conversion moment. Seeing Christ in the most despised people of his time. And so uh, he spent a lot of time in that leper hospital volunteering and all his early brothers as part of their rule also spent significant time ministering in that leper hospital. There's the famous story of um, him praying down at the church of San Damiano uh, and uh, before this crucifix uh, and he heard the crucified and risen Christ say to him, Francis, you can see that my church is in disrepair, rebuild my church, which he took very literally. Uh, and there were a number of churches around Assisi which were in falling down. Church had become a little bit unpopular. Uh, and uh, so he set about selling his father's cloth to rebuild the church, which didn't go down that well with his father. Uh, and it led to a... Uh, the eventual breakdown, permanent breakdown of his relationship with his father, when his father dragged him before the bishop in uh, in front of the cathedral of San Rufino and uh, demanded that the, the bishop order his son to stop selling his cloth so that he could rebuild churches and to return home to, to, to learn the cloth merchant's trade. Francis immediately responded by stripping off all his clothes, all his clothes, and handing them back to his father and saying, from this point on, I no longer call you father, but only my father in heaven. And the bishop clothed him in the cloak, in his cloak, to say that he now had the protection of the church. That was an important event as well. Another one was, on this day, 812 years ago, as he stood where listening to the gospel being read on the Feast of St. Matthias, uh, and he heard the instructions in Matthew for the sending out of the twelve, where they are instructed to take no staff, to wear no sandals, to take no money belt, no money pouch, no, no belt, no money pouch. Uh, and he uh, heard his calling to embrace the life of poverty. He met Lady Poverty in that, in that moment. For Francis in all of these stories, and there are many more, the overriding thing was that in his, in his time of convalescence, he had more and more become aware of the love of God for him, for all people, and for all of creation. For him, the issue was never, what do I do to deserve that love? It was always, how do I respond to the love that was already given me? I am already loved. And as he knew that he was loved, he also knew how unworthy he was of that love. How deeply and utterly unworthy he was of that love. He called himself the greatest of all sinners. And if you are the greatest of all sinners and yet are still loved by God, then all other people are also loved. So he could not set himself over and above anyone else as more deserving or more worthy or more holy. Because he was the greatest of all sinners. 
And therefore, if he was loved, so were all people and all creation. So the question then is, how do you respond to that love? That love that has invaded your life, that has shaped all things. This love that is most perfectly displayed in the cross. And it was his fervent prayer that he would be filled with that same passion, that same love that, same love that Christ lived on the cross. And he was granted that when he was given the stigmata. The wounds of Christ which he carried for the last two years of his life. Well for him the answer was simple. You live the gospel. And so when his first companion Bernard of Quinterville asked to join him uh, after he had observed Francis. Well first he was a very wealthy man from Assisi and he invited Francis for dinner and Francis came and then took all the food that had been served and took it out to the gate to the, where the poor were gathered And then uh, they went to bed and Bernard pretended to sleep. And Francis, seeing that Bernard was asleep or thinking that Bernard was asleep, got up and prayed for the night, crying, my God and my all. And in the morning, Bernard said, you have something that I do not have. Despite all my wealth and my power, I wish to join you. So they went down to the local church and they opened the Gospels. Well, the priest opened the Gospels three times And three times the gospel said, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor. So Bernard and Francis took that literally. And Bernard sold all that he had, gave it to the poor, and became Francis' first follower. And when a number of of men had joined him, Francis decided he needed to go to Rome to see the Pope to get permission to do what he was doing. So they went down there, and it's a much longer story. Long story short, the Pope eventually said, yes, but you need to write a rule. So Francis wrote a rule. And it was simply a collection of gospel phrases, stories and lines from the gospels. How do you live a life in response to love? You live the gospel. Well, when the Pope saw it and the Cardinal saw it, they said, this is unrealistic. Who could live this life? Who could live as an austere a life as this? And Francis was bewildered. But this this is the way we have been given, the way of the gospel. So why am I telling this story? Because I suspect that the reading we heard today was one of those passages. We don't have access to that first rule. It's been lost in the mist of time. We have all his other rules that he had to work on uh, and eventually settled on his final rule before his death, the rule that still is the rule of the Friars Minor. But his first one, which was simply just a collection of gospel stories, of lines from the gospel, I am sure included parts of today's gospel reading. How do we respond to such love? Well, with love. Love your enemies. And loving your enemies led Francis to go off to see the Sultan of Egypt, who was the military commander of the armies of Islam. During the Fifth Crusade, it was the 800th anniversary of that event this year, he went because the Gospels commanded him to love his enemy. So he went to see his enemy, to convert him to Christ, and actually was deeply impressed by this man of deep faith, just as the Sultan was deeply impressed by Francis and his deep faith. And they left 
neither converting the other but with great respect for each other. And Francis returned to change the rule from his brothers were to go to the Muslim worlds to convert the, the Muslims to, to serve their Muslim brothers and sisters. Living the gospel is at the heart of the Franciscan way. It is how we respond to the love we have already received. It's as simple and as hard as that. And so when I read today's passage, I read not instructions on how to live a life, not something I need to do to earn or to win or to deserve anything else, but simply, you have been given freely. Here is a way to respond. I think Luke also intended it as his his gospel is about the reign of God. What does the reign of God look like? This is what the reign of God looks like. And when we see people who love their enemy, when we see people who live out the gospel, then we see the reign of God growing in the world. And so Francis is an example of the reign of God breaking out in the world. In the pew sheet I quote Martin Luther King, another place where the reign of God broke out into the world. And we credit him with a lot and we could put him on a pedestal but he was a flawed character. He had other women apart from his wife. There were others who had to teach him the way of peace including uh, can't remember his name, it's gone from my mind. My notes are in the, uh, in the sacristy. That's not very helpful, is it? Uh, uh, who was a gay man who'd been in part of the civil rights movement and trade, black trade union movements for years. And he was the one that taught Martin Luther King the way of peace. And if they were to embrace the way of peace, he couldn't have armed guards at his door. So we... We might think that to live the way of the gospel means that we have to be uh, perfect people, but in fact, when we look around to those who do live the way of the gospel, they're often deeply flawed people. And Francis knew how deeply flawed he was, which is why he called himself the greatest of all sinners. On Friday, I went to Auckland for the last part of the tangi of a friend of mine, Tapu Mahindra. Laulu, who was 33 years old. He was larger than life. He was 6 foot 7 at his peak, 210 kgs, which is why his heart eventually gave out. Uh, he was a Samoan who spent his early years in Fiji and then moved here to New Zealand. And when they came here, his mother uh, went to the local Māori church in Māngari. And uh, he embraced Dao Māori. In fact, he so embraced Del Māori, he was fluent in Tōtō Māori, uh, he knew Kapahaka, uh, he worked in the Māori church. Uh, a lot of people were surprised that he was Samoan, they thought he was a Māori. And the thing about Tapu was, wasn't the brightest person, he never did well at the academic stuff, but man did he live love. He loved people, and it didn't matter who you were. As Archbishop Don said uh, at the funeral, there was never somebody who he met who he could not make a friend, and there was never a friend who he could not uh, 
just embrace as family. You quickly learned you couldn't have a successful youth event without Tapu and you would have your well-laid plans and he would sabotage them because he would just kind of love people and would be filled with joy and uh, the programme always went wrong after that. He loved liturgy, um, so he uh, was a deacon in the church and uh, he would often lead the services, even, even when he wasn't down to lead services, somehow he would end up leading services. But the thing I will remember about him was that he lived what we heard today. Uh, there was deep conflict in his life on occasions because uh, he loved people and particularly young people. And when people uh, did things that, that were damaging to them or put them in peril, he would stand against that even if, even if that person was a bishop. And so there was a bishop at the Tangi who uh, they never resolved their differences because Tapu stood and confronted him about something he had done. And the bishop didn't like it. But Tapu would not back down. He lived exactly the gospel reading we heard today. Because, well, he knew that he was loved. And the only way he knew how to respond to that was to love. Love the people at Mangere, love the people at Ōtara. And he was deeply respected because of that. There were ministers, there were so many priests at that service. Many of us robed, some not. Uh, Ratna, Methodist. And those of you who watched Casketeers, is anyone here watch Casketeers? Francis was there. Not as the funeral director, just as one of the mourners to pay his respects to Tapu. So the question for me in all of this is, how do I respond to the love that I have already received from God? What shapes my response to that love? In what place does the gospel reading that we heard today, how does that help me understand how I might respond to what I have already been given? We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be amazing. Jesus simply invites us to be people of love. Let's spend a moment thinking about that.